Hello again. How are you all? Good. We've been in John 17 for four weeks. This will be week five, and we've finished with the exposition. Uh, We're going to go through and look at some lessons in prayer. Um, We have just sung the Lord's Prayer, and I think it would be well to read it. We're not going to read any more from John 17 except in the, the message. So I would like to have you turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount where the Lord's Prayer is given to us. And so I'd like us to read the whole thing, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, in Matthew 6, we're going to be looking at, as soon as I get there, um, verses 5 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read 5 through 13, and would you stand to give honor to the reading of God's word in Jesus' other teaching about prayer? Please give attention to the reading of God's word where Jesus says this. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Please be seated. And after all that, I guess we should pray. (laughs) We approach you, dear God, as the high and holy one, our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. And we come because you've invited us to. We come because prayer is your idea. We We come because we're your children. And we ask that this morning as we look further at the the prayer of Jesus in John 17, that you would teach us, you would instruct us, you would even inspire us to pray, that you would set us free from anything that holds us back. In all this, we pray for your glory, that it would be seen. And all these things we pray in the name of Christ, our great God and our Savior. Amen. So why should we pray? Why should we pray? It's commanded in Scripture. Yes, it is. But is that the only reason we should pray? I think that the example of Jesus in his life is the greatest reason, the best reason for us to pray. And if someone were to say, make an argument for prayer, I don't have to pray. Well, number one, it's commanded. Number two, Jesus prayed. How can you not see that as uh, probably the ultimate argument for prayer? Uh, It should, by the way, encourage us to pray. I don't know how many 
sermons on prayer I've started probably this way. Please don't feel guilty about prayer because we're going to talk about it. Because every time we start talking about it, it's true. But we should be encouraged to pray, not feel guilty when we look at the life of Jesus because of the great privilege that that it is. If he needed to pray, then how much more do we? He is, he was the perfect man. He demonstrated in his life true godliness. He alone demonstrates for us what a a personal relationship with God is all about. And so therefore, if he prayed, we should pray because of his example. So if we look at John 17, there are so many things we can learn. If we look at all of the life of Christ, there are many things we can learn. We learn by his example. We learn by his words. We learn who he prays for. We, we learn his priorities in prayer, how he structures his prayers, how he begins them, how he ends them, how he prays repeatedly. Mark tells us that he would often go away into the to the desert, to a lonely place to pray. Sometimes he prayed all night long. Those are all good examples of us, for us rather. And at this juncture in his life, when he's about to be arrested, he prays. He prays before the bottom falls out. You know, someday you're going to pray. If you're not a prayer, you will pray when something happens. You're going to start praying. It's better to have some oomph underneath you because you've, you've, you've been praying as a regular course of life. And so you know that when the bottom falls out, you come in confidence and faith instead of um, falling apart. So this is what we are going to see this morning. I hope you'll take with you. If what is true of Jesus becomes true of us, if our lives are to mirror the life of Christ then our lives should mirror his in the priority of prayer. If what is true of Jesus becomes true of us, and it is, we've been crucified with Christ and buried with him and raised with him. We are in Christ. We have union with Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. All the things true of him are true of us. And if our lives are to mirror the life of Christ, and indeed they are, we should be ever growing in likeness of Christ, beholding as in a mirror the holiness from the Lord. We are to be changed into the likeness of Christ because Christ in you, the hope of glory, then our lives should mirror his in this thing called prayer. We should emulate him. What can we do that Jesus did? Let me ask this, what can we not do that Jesus did? We can't turn water into wine. We can't walk on water. I know you might think I do sometimes, but I know. (laughs) I cannot, believe me. We cannot raise the dead, but we can pray. That we can do. This thing that he did, we can do and we should do as well. So we're going to pull out seven lessons from John 17. That does not mean, by the way, that there are seven lessons in John 17 about prayer. There are many, many more. We spent time at our sermon prep time on Tuesday morning kind of culling them down because I'd gone through and I pulled out a whole bunch and the group helped me to kind of whittle them down to seven because seven, of course, is the perfect number. And um, by the way, these are not secrets. I bet you you could go and Google. I haven't done this. You could Google and you could search... um, sermon, uh, seven, seven secrets to a satisfactory prayer life. 
I bet it's there somewhere. I bet many pastors have preached that. These are not secrets. We don't teach Gnosticism at Valley Bible Church that there's esoteric knowledge that God is hiding hidden keys from us and we need to find them somehow. These are right out in the open. These are lessons from the life of Christ and they're pretty obvious to me and they should be to us as well. So let's get on with it. Lesson number one, address God first and address him properly. Verses 1, 5, 11, 21, 24, and 26. The first thing Jesus did was he lifted his eyes to heaven. Jesus spoke these things in verse 1, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father. Prayer is worship. Never forget that. Prayer is worship. It's a, a means of, prayer, of worshiping God. Yes, singing is worship. Some people, for some reason, it's been a long time since we've taught on this, but they think, think that what we just did, that was the worship time, and now we're in the Word. No, it's all, it's all worship. Uh, praise is worship. Thanksgiving is worship. Praying is worship. The Word of God. Preaching is worship. Everything. Life is worship. Your work is worship. But this is a specific type of worship, and prayer is worship. And the th- first thing that Jesus did was he lifted his eyes to heaven, and this is an act of worship. He knew who he was addressing. And it's personal because he says, Father. He had this relationship with him, glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you, this intimate relationship with the Father, then he, and he knew that he could approach him in this worship of prayer. So for us, know to whom you're speaking when you pray. Don't just pray off into, into the Netherlands or whatever. And always start with addressing the Father. I, I, it, you know, I've, ta- I've taught this many, many times. And I, I think it's rude to just barge into the throne room of God and say, hey, God, would you do this for me and this for me and this for me? And he said, wait a minute, who are you talking to? We should stop to address him just as in the Lord's Prayer It is instructive because in the Lord's Prayer, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He addresses him where he is, high and exalted and lifted up as the holy God. The heavenward focus of our prayers helps us to remember the majesty of God and the privilege of prayer. It helps us to understand that even though prayer is talking to God, It is not like talking to any other person. He is not any other person. He is the high king of heaven, and we should respect his position in heaven, who he is. We are to have great regard for and and reverence for the person of God and the privilege of prayer and the place that he is exalted and enthroned on high. So address your prayers to the Father. That is the, the default in the scriptures to approach him. Jesus said, uh, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. Yes, all three persons of the Trinity are God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in some ways, whenever you pray, you are praying to them because they are God and they are listening, yes. But Jesus was clear about Approaching and addressing the Father. If you ask my Father anything in his name, he will do it, he said. He taught us earlier in the upper room discourse. 
In this passage, he refers to the Father four times. He calls him the Holy Father once. He calls him the Righteous Father once. Six times he repeats himself, Father, 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 Father. Is that meaningless repetition? That's meaningful repetition. There is a meaningful repetition in prayer too. It's okay to pray all night and pour out your heart to God for the same thing and to ask it over and over and over again. What Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5 was people who thought that if they just said a lot of words, that was going to impress God. But there is something that is meaningful in our repetition when we come to him. But address him properly. There is a certain familiarity with God that we want to avoid. Yes, he is transcendent and he is imminent. That is, means he is far away and he is close. I think it's demonstrated uh, only three times in the scriptures. We have the phrase Abba, Father. Abba is a familiar form of God, uh, Father as in Papa. Father is more, uh, more formal. So you have the familiar and the formal. You never see Abba alone. But we must always keep that reverence and recognize, yes, we're close and we have an intimate relationship, but he's still holy and we're not. We're not there yet. We need to be careful about getting too buddy, buddy with God. He is not your buddy and he is not your boyfriend. And oftentimes too many worship songs and Christian music wants to make Jesus out to be a boyfriend, and he's not. He is the exalted Lord, and the God, the Father, is the, the one that the Son is praying to. So make sure that we, we worship him with prayer and we address him properly. Okay, second lesson. Pray for God's glory above all things. Pray for God's glory above all things because God's glory is above all things. The glory of God is the issue in all things. In verses 1 through 5, verse 10 and 20 through 26, again in verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to the heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. And right off the bat, he requests something. Glorify your son that the son may be glorified in you. Even as you gave him authority over all the flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work with which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The glory of God. In the upper room discourse before chapter 17, 12, 13 times, Jesus has mentioned the glory of God. And now it is the, 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 the priority. It figures prominently in his last prayer in chapter 17. Because the glory of God is the issue in all things. How will focusing on God's glory help you? How will it help you? If you're praying for God's glory ultimately... It will keep you from selfishness. It will keep you from wishful thinking. It will keep you from arm twisting. Somehow you're going to uh, say enough things in the right way that you're going to twist God's arm into doing what you want. So that means it will keep you from being a control freak with God. You can't be a control freak with God. 
his will will be done. So it will help you to, to rest in him. Praying for his glory is praying for his will. It's the same thing. If you pray for his glory, you are praying for his will. And that takes the pressure off of us, doesn't it, when we pray? We're not twisting his arm to get our way. Faith is resting in him and that ability to say, your will be done and not mine. Prayer is dependence upon God. Prayer is asking him to do the very things that you cannot do for yourself. And when you pray for his glory, you are saying, God, you know better than I, and you know things that I don't know. And so I'm not going to tell you how it should go. I'm going to ask for your glory, and your glory is your will. So make God's glory the ultimate in all of your prayers. And then just rest in him. When you worry, you're imposing your will on him. Did you know that? God, why aren't you doing what I, what, what I want you to do? My life is in disarray. You're not acting. You're not working. You're not answering. Well, the last thing Jesus prayed to his father was, if, you, if there's any other way, if this cup could pass from me, but your will be done. So rest in him. Rest in him. At our sermon prep time, um, one of the guys said, uh, some, sometimes when we, when we pray for God's will to be done, it feels like a cop-out. You ever feel that way? You're praying with people, and maybe it's a, someone who's really, really sick, and, and a really bad thing has happened, and, and everybody's praying for healing, and everybody's praying for a miracle. Everybody's praying for something to happen, and... To say, Lord, your will be done, sounds like you're skating. No, it's not. You're not skating. When we pray for God's will to be done, we're praying for the absolute best. We're praying for God's glory. That person may not live, and oftentimes they don't. And sometimes the best thing is for that person to leave this earth and to be in the presence of God. But it's better to pray for God's glory and for his will to be done than to think that we know what his will is. So pray for his glory. Lesson number three, pray for others. Pretty obvious. Pray for others, verses 6 through 19 and 20 through 26. Um, throughout this prayer, Jesus prayed for his, his disciples. In fact, um, in verse 9, he said, I ask on their behalf, after all this praying about the glory, I ask on their behalf, not on behalf of the world. He wasn't praying for the world. That's evangelism praying. He was praying for those who believed in him, his disciples. So when I say pray for others here, I'm talking about praying for other believers as well. Pray for God to be glorified in them. Back to the glory, because that's the issue. In verse 6, he said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world, manifesting their name is the same way of saying he has glorified the Father. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. Pray for the glory of God in others. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see your glory. When you're praying for other people, pray for God's glory to be seen in that person. 
Jesus didn't pray for the difficulties of the night. He didn't say, Lord, my heart is broken because Judas has betrayed me. Would you please heal my broken heart? He didn't pray, uh, Lord, would you please stop the Roman guards from coming to arrest me? Instead, he prayed about his glory. That's what he prayed. Chad Ingle said, put it this way this week. He said, there are many things that we face in our lives, divorce, cancer, problems with children. They're very weighty. But, but there is something about glory that is weightier still. God's glory is weightier in someone's life. Not the answer to prayer, but the glory of God. We want to see God answer prayers, yes, but ultimately we want that prayer to bring glory to God in whatever it is. Uh, we've talked about this before many times, the idea of praying at a higher level than just the request. Yes, we pray for the request. Pray for the person going in for surgery. Pray for the, the person who wants to get the job. Pray for the person who's thinking about retiring. Pray for the person who's traveling to the East Coast. Pray for all of those things. But in those, pray for something greater. Lord, would you help them to draw closer to you? Would, would you use this thing in their life to provide opportunities for the gospel? Would they, would they wrestle with your will in their life? And would you be glorified in the trip that they're taking to the East Coast and the job that they're going to get? In other words, don't just give them a job. Give them your glory. Give them something greater. And we should pray that way in all of our prayers. This is truly having an eternal perspective on life when we, we're not just praying through a list of all the things we want to, people to have God do for them, but we're praying that God take that list and he make it his will and his glory and we see people grow in Christ's likeness because of answers to prayer or because prayer is not answered. Practice this in your prayer life now before it gets difficult, because when it gets difficult, you're just going to panic. Pray for their joy. Verse 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Honestly, I was thinking about this this week. That's why I pulled this out as a separate lesson. I'm not sure how often I pray for people to be joyful. Do you? Unless they're sour and dour, maybe, but... Uh, Usually it's, it's just really not uh, on my radar. And yet Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would be full of joy. Of all people in the world who should have joy, raise your hand, Christian, yes. We should be people who are full of the fullness of the joy of Christ. And oftentimes we're not, and the world recognizes that. Oftentimes that's what we are deemed for. By the world that there was, there we live lives of joylessness, and we are down, and we are um, uh, judgmental toward people. There's a difference between making judgments and being judgmental, and we must make decisions about right and wrong. But we should always be gracious, and our grace should be full of joy. And then the last one is remember. Pray for their protection. Remember that evil exists and pray for the protection of your brothers and sisters in Christ because evil exists. Verses 14 through 16, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Pray for the protection of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a common enemy. Pray for the spiritual protection that they need from, from the world itself, from the, 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 uh, from the devil and the, their own sin and their own life. But pray for them and pray that they would be prayers also. You know, we love to talk about the armor of God, and it's important to, you know, to shod our, our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, to put on the combat boots of the gospel and to gird ourselves with, with truth and uh, to put on the, uh, the body armor, the breastplate of righteousness and, the, and a helmet uh, the, of salvation and take up the sword of the spirit and the shield of the faith. And we, we in Sunday school, we have little kids make uh, cardboard shields and, and all those things. And, and that's great. We want to teach that. But what about prayer? When Paul taught about the, uh, the armor of God, he said more about prayer than he did about each of those individual pieces of armor. Because after he said, and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that an utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. In those four verses, he said more about prayer than he did the pieces of armor. They're important, but all that we would raise up a generation of children who know, yes, the pieces of the armor, but they know the place of prayer as well. And they pray at the drop of a hat because it becomes like breathing to them. Pray for their holiness. Verse 17, Jesus said, praying about his disciples and for them. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. When you're praying for others, pray for their growth in holiness and in righteousness. Pray that they would become distinct from the world in righteousness because that's what holiness means, to be different and to be other than not be like the world. Pray that they would separate themselves from sin that they would have victory over the sin in their life. You don't need to know what it is because we all struggle. But to pray that for every believer is okay. And to pray that they would ever become more like Jesus Christ because the glory of God and the image of God, that is the purpose of the Christian life, to become like Jesus Christ. And when you're praying for someone, yes, pray for the, the job, but pray that they would become holy through the word of God that they would grow in godliness, that they would become like Jesus and that God would be glorified. So pray for others, but pray with others as well. Pray with others. That's the whole prayer in John 17. Think about it. There's no injunction. The whole prayer is an example of Jesus praying with his disciples he begins the prayer. He's with the disciples. He's been with them all, all night. And after talking to them, he starts to pray. They're with him. They've been with him all night. They see him lift his eyes to heaven. They hear him speak. He is praying with them. They were with him. 
And this was an opportunity for them to learn how to pray. Jesus, in his prayers, I believe, was teaching his disciples because they heard everything that he prayed. But he was also teaching us, so we're gleaning those lessons this morning. And so John recorded it for us. He could have just ended in chapter 16. Chapter 16 at the end says, "Uh, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome overcome the world. And then he could have gone on. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron. But he didn't. He included this prayer. Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not. Jesus did. It so impressed John. He was so moved by the Holy Spirit to put it in this place that we might see the priorities of of prayer in the life of Jesus Christ. The last night that he was with his disciples, how he prayed for them and how he prayed with them. So here are some ways to pray with others. Life group. If you're not in a life group, sign up for a life group. If you took a break, it's time to get back in because we need to pray together. And in your life groups, we need to pray. The life group evening is is to be uh, set up this way. Prayer, fellowship, and study. Prayer, fellowship, and study. So life group leaders, don't just take requests and then go on to the next thing. Praying together is important. It is a spiritual activity that God supernaturally uses to bind us together, to draw us together, to make us more like Christ, to grow us deeper in our ties with one another when we pray together. When we just take requests and we put it in a notebook and then we don't pray the rest of the week, what is the point of that? Make prayer a priority in your life groups. And I know it can be hard taking the requests Because there's that one guy, you know who he is, who just drones on and on and on and on and on. And you're going, well, we're not going to get to the study tonight. Sometimes it's important to do that. If there's an important issue in someone's life that is fresh and emergent. But here's here's a tip. Why not just pray? Why take requests? Sometime try that in your life. Just say, okay, it's time to pray. If you have a request, pray it. Why do we need to talk about it first? Why do we need to inform one another? Why don't I just pray and we we pray together and just just pray? And when you're praying in a group, by the way, this came up also on Monday morning, that uh, Tuesday morning. uh, A principle of communication is communication goes two ways, listening and speaking, listening and speaking. I've never done this, but I'm sure you have. Uh, When you're in a prayer group and people are praying, some people are thinking of what they're going to be praying instead of praying with the others. No, I don't do that. (laughs) We all do that, right? We should listen and pray with. We join in praying with those others that we're praying with instead of our minds wandering and thinking about what we we should be um, uh, thinking about what we're going to say next. So anyway... Prayer team. We have a prayer team. They meet at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings in one of the rooms over here. We encourage you to join the prayer team. I wish it were the largest team we had at Valley Bible Church. It's not. It never is in any church. 
I don't think, and that's too bad, but I wish it were. Think about joining the prayer team. Pray with your family. Moms and dads, pray with your children. They need to learn how to pray, and they do it by praying with you and listening to you in the same way that the disciples were listening to Jesus pray. Husbands, make sure that your wife has time to pray. Set an example because you are praying. Pray for her, and men, pray with her. Pray with your wives. Um, I said this before, I will say it again. I think in marriage, next to the sexual relationship, a, a husband and a wife, praying together is the most intimate thing that you can do. Because men, you are bearing your heart before God, before your wife. And that's hard for us guys, isn't it? It's hard for us to do that. But it's, if you want to grow closer to her and you want to grow closer to him, pray together and do it honestly and openly and bear your heart before God with your wife because you're one flesh and pray together. So men, guess whose responsibility that is? You. Lastly, pray spontaneously. What I mean is this. Instead of making, I'll pray for you, an empty cliche, pray immediately for the person you just said that to. Instead of making, I'll pray for you, an empty cliche, pray immediately for the person you just said that to. You know how it is. I know how it is. You're out in the foyer. How are you doing this week? Doing pretty good. What do you got going? Well, I'm having surgery on my foot on Thursday. Oh, well, I'll pray for you. We're going to lunch. I would love to see people in this room, in the foyer, gathering together because they're talking and something comes up in their life. Let me pray right now. Instead of saying, I'll pray for you and then forgetting because you forget, you do. We do. Why not pray right now? spontaneously, and I encourage you to that. Number five, pray for the gospel. You see this in verse 3 and verses 20 through 26. Verse 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Uh, We are tied to these men. We saw this last week where he said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And he was praying for us. We're tied to those 11 men in that room, and our faith is due to the fact that they were faithful. And now Jesus was praying for future believers, and so should we. We should have the faith and the confidence that as the gospel is proclaimed, people will indeed come to Christ because they will. That's God's will. There will be future believers. And so we pray for some of the things we saw last week. Pray for unity, verse 21. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. As the world sees the unity that we have, it's one of the things that he uses. I, again, it's, it's mysterious to me, but it's one of the things that Jesus uses in evangelism, so we pray for our unity for, to pray for others, to pray for glory, verse 22. The glory which you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one, 
and pray for love. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them. Pray for those who are lost so that they would believe that God sent his son and that they would know the love that God has for them and the love that he has shown to us. What a greater, uh, what greater evangelistic pull is there that then to know that you are loved as we have been loved. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if we have love for one another. Lesson number six, pray for the ministry of the word. Pray for the ministry of the word. He says in verse 14, I have given them your word and the word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Pray for the ministry of the word. Pray for Sunday school. We'll be starting our adult Sunday school classes here in a few weeks in the fall, getting up after a year and a half. Pray for those teachers. Pray for those lessons. Pray for the children's Sunday school as as they'll be starting up. and, And youth that God would use his word because we are a Bible church and that it would take root in the hearts of students, adult students, middle school, high school, and children at every age level that we would accurately and, and properly teach God's word. The word of God in the life groups, that this, this fall when we begin, that the word of God would, would change people's lives that they would be sanctified in truth. Pray for Sunday sermons. Everything that we do, we're, we're working all week, working toward this event, the preaching event, the Word of God. We're a Bible church. The singing, everything that is uh, uh, that we do on Sunday morning, the greeting, the bulletin, the uh, you know, the, the screen, everything is about the word of God. So pray for whoever's preaching. It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's me or Chris or Caleb or, or whomever it may be. Pray whoever is going to be preaching, because I'll tell you, we spend hmm, 20 to 30 hours for 45 minutes. It's important to us because it's important to God. Pray for us. Uh, we, we had a... Uh, a gathering with the, the, the worship team here a few weeks ago, and, and I challenged them to, to do all to the glory of God because of the importance of the preaching of God's word at Valley Bible Church. For instance, the, the sound people back there, that, that we have the proper volume and, and the slides are properly done and they, they go at the right time and that people are properly greeted and that we have um, the, the, the room ventilated and sometimes it hasn't been. All of those things we, we use for one purpose, the word of God for his glory. All of those things are for the ministry of the word, for the glory of God. And so pray, please pray that God's word would be effective. 
Finally, the seventh lesson is this. Pray intentionally and pray practically. The age in which we live is probably the busiest ever. Don't you think? Wouldn't you agree? I don't think that there is any culture that has ever been as busy as we are. Um, It's amazing. That means you have to be intentional about praying. That means you have to make it a priority. Jesus did. He was intentional, and he made it a priority. So discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Um, Paul told Timothy that. So part of that spiritual discipline is to be people of the word and people of prayer. Set an appointment with God. It might be 5 a.m., five days a week, seven days a week. It might be Wednesdays at 1. It might be in the afternoon. It might be in the evening before you go to bed. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. This week, I, a couple of weeks ago, I got a, a, a notice that my annual checkup was coming up, and I got an email said, please confirm, confirm that, go to my chart, the whole thing. We want you to come in. We want, to, want you to do the COVID protocol. I did all that, and, and then a couple of days before, I get a text, please confirm that you're coming for your appointment. So I go on my appointment. I even fasted beforehand, thinking that they might um, draw my blood, walk in. Your name, please. Give my name. And you're here to see, gave him the name of the doctor. And they said, oh, he doesn't work here anymore. He didn't show up. (laughs) God will show up for your appointment. Believe me, God will show up. If you make an appointment, wherever you are, whenever you want to see him and talk to him, he will be there. But it's good to be regular and to set a time. It may not be 6 a.m. every day for the young mother. It might be 6 a.m. on Monday, but the next available opportunity is 1.30 in the afternoon during nap time. That's okay. Sure, you might think, young mothers, that's a good time for me to get caught up on my streaming uh, shows that I've been watching, but it's a better time to pray. Spend that time in prayer. Don't think that since you didn't pray seven days a week at 5 a.m., that you might as well give up because you're a failure. You're not. It's better to pray quality time with God two or three times a week than it is to pray zero, right? Do something. Do some. God is gracious. He knows the busy life that you lead, and he will be gracious. Discipline yourself with devices. Uh, that's, a, that's probably one of the biggest hindrances to prayer. I know there are apps for praying, but who? come on, do they work? No, probably not. Um, Glenn Baker was talking about this on Tuesday morning. He, he's, he decided that he will not touch his phone until he's had his quiet time in the morning. I think that's, that's good. Had practice some kind of discipline. I like to... Um, I'm a weather watcher, and so first thing in the morning, I want to see what the temperature is, what's going to be like today. Are we going to have a snowstorm? I hope we will. You know, I just love severe weather, thunderstorms, all those things. So the first thing I do is I look at uh, my phone to see what the weather's like. But these things are designed to draw us in. There's no just looking at the weather. Now, is there? Is there? Because then I want to check Twitter, and then I want to check a news feed, then I want to check, you Don't look at them. Practice some discipline. I know it's hard. Don't replace things with God 
Replace God with things. Put this aside and put God in his place. Put that thing aside and put God in his place and spend the time with him. Discipline yourself. Pray without ceasing. Yes, we should have specific times that are devoted to prayer, but we should also pray without ceasing. It's not one or the other. I think it's both and. But for some in season, the season of life, uh, young parents, it might, there might be more praying without ceasing than there is the, the, the devoted prayer. Um, but we know that Jesus prayed consistently. He often went away to pray. Um, the writer of the psalmist, Psalm, the psalmist 119, prayed seven times a day. Daniel prayed three times a day. Certainly, we don't want to lower the standard. But maybe, you know, we use the word trigger oftentimes in a bad way. I've been, you know, people who are snowflakes are triggered into feeling bad. We can use trigger in a, in a positive way. Use positive triggers. To, that, that's the time that you pray. Replace that thing or that thing reminds you that this is the moment to pray. When you're going to walk the dog, you pick up the leash, I'm going to pray. When you're walking the baby, when you're nursing the baby, as soon as she goes down for a nap, as soon as my bare feet hit the floor in the morning, as soon as I start the car for the 20-minute commute to work, as soon as my head hits the pillow to pray for your lost son, oh, Lord, please bring him to Christ. I know that prayer is not going to go on for very long because you're going to fall asleep, I hope, peacefully. But it's a, a simple and sincere prayer, something like that, 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 that every time your head hits the, the pillow, you condition yourself to pray for something that's important in your life. Use positive triggers. Tara was telling me this week about when we were in seminary, we had some good friends that were pregnant at the same time, and, and she had her baby a couple of weeks before we had our first son. Tara was over at her house, and in the kitchen, on the windowsill above the kitchen, there was one of those little Fisher-Price little people. You've all seen them if you had kids sitting there. And Tara said, well, what is, what's that for? And Denise said, whenever I see it, I'm reminded to pray for Michael their newborn baby. Find those triggers. Find those ways to, to automatically pray and turn your, your eyes heavenward and your hearts up to the, to the glory of God. And remember that no personal concerns are too small for God. You know why some people don't pray? Ah, God can't be bothered. I think that diminishes God. You diminish God to think that he's not big enough to hear even the small things in your life. Yes, pray at a larger level, but whatever concerns you have are his concerns as well. And be sure to pray them. So in conclusion, let me say this. If your prayer time has gotten stale, do something different. Do something different. Pray out loud. I found that to be very helpful because when I pray silently, my mind wanders Stand up, kneel, do something different. If your prayer life has become stagnant, do something different. I re I'm really a fan of praying out loud. I know getting in your prayer closet and, and someone might hear you mumbling, that's okay. But find a place where you can talk to God out loud. That's the way you talk to your spouse or your kids or your boss or whomever. 
You talk out loud. Talk to God that way as well. And finally, we end where we begin with this. If what is true of Jesus becomes true of us, and it does, if our lives are to mirror the life of Christ, and it is, then our lives should mirror his in the priority of prayer. And I hope that it will. Father, we are grateful for the teaching and example of Christ our Lord in this important endeavor of prayer. For in our prayers, we declare our dependence upon you, that there are things that you can do that we cannot do for ourselves and that we are helpless and hopeless apart from you. But thank you for giving us your Son and your Spirit in this wonderful gift called prayer. May we be diligent to use it for your glory. In the name of your Son, amen.